Hey, everybody. Welcome to Alumless. I am Ryan Catherwood, and that is Chris Marshall. Thank you for tuning in. It is Friday. We are grateful for Max Leiston and the team at Protopia for sponsoring the show. It is incredibly uh, a pleasure that we have to share more about Protopia with our listening audience. We as engagement pros are always thinking about how to create more volunteer opportunities. Why is that? Because there are many reasons, but the big one is that volunteers give at two times or three times the rate. So this is incredibly important, particularly for those alumni leaders working in integrated advancement models. And we're trying to build a pipeline of donors. And at the same time, students throughout the educational journey have questions and could use the advice of alumni. And as engagement pros, we're asked to figure out ways to make the alumni network available from prospective student to former student and develop partnerships across campus that will showcase in real terms how valuable the alumni network can be. So that's what Protopia solves for. Without requiring alumni or students to sign up for another app or platform, Protopia's AI-powered technology activates alumni and turns them into volunteers in a flash. Students and alumni seeking advice are connected while removing the administrative burden of the staff. Protopia is the tool you've been looking for. Uh, visit protopia.co forward slash alumless and be sure to mention that Ryan and Chris sent you. And while I was reading that uh, sponsorship promotion from Protopia, Lindsay joined us. I can see her in the bottom of the screen, which is fantastic. So we are all systems go here for another episode. I'm psyched Matt, to have Matt will Lindsay get his knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I'm psyched to have Lindsay on the show. I did a, a Protopia webinar uh, a couple months back, and Lindsay was just an excellent speaker and guest. And so I'm really excited to share um, uh, her thoughts with everybody. I know she is too, and we'll bring her out here in just a minute. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast edition of Alumless. It is an additional 30-minute segment with all of our special guests, including Lindsay for today. But you got to subscribe to the podcast version using your favorite podcast app. Uh, and um, yeah, we're going to do the Friday cheers again today. And it uh, should be fun to talk about some uh, tendentially related ed engagement stuff. But sometimes we share our favorite books, movies, things that we've read or, or been listening to. But Chris, let's get the conversation started. Thinking back to your time at Lehigh and Cornell, uh, was there one particular partnership that you had with another unit within advancement or perhaps across campus that you were really focused on strengthening? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. I'll keep it on Lehigh. It was my first experience. And, and as most folks know, or maybe know, I spent 12 years career in athletics. So when I went over to the alumni world, natural first partner was everyone and anyone in the athletic department. So we had a very close working relationship. Um, athletics is a, a big part of lots of institutions, you know, alumni engagement work. And that was a, a opportunity we just took it full advantage of and worked well because I knew everybody and there was trust established there. And that's the most important part, you know, getting to know the people, establishing trust and communication lines that can allow for the collaborations to happen. I think the other one that built very quickly was it, uh, over in admissions. We had a very strong admissions alumni group a uh, uh, group of 6,000 volunteers that were involved in some way of helping interview or recruit or matriculate students to come to Lehigh at the time. So great partnership with, with admissions. But within advancement, interesting structure we had there is that I, was, um, I wasn't a VP, but I reported to the president. 
And so did the VP for development. And that person was Bonnie Devlin, who's a lifelong friend now and uh, uh, CEO uh, principal, or I should say managing principal of Washburn McGoldrick, our partner firm. So we're still working together to this day, 20 some odd years later. But Bonnie and I had a very close friendship and working relationship and, and everything we did was in lockstep. And we built very much an integrated model. Um, didn't know I was doing it at the time because I was brand new to the industry back in 2001. But what we were doing, I can go back to in point, was building an integrated advancement model. And it was a yeah. critical partnership for me to have and learning in, in the early stage of my career. Yeah, that that's great. I, I You know, I have to admit, Chris, I, building campus partnerships, I don't think was ever one of my strengths. Yeah. You know, I think it was some of the things I always was focused internally, right? Whenever there was a problem, whenever there was something to be done. I was, I was like, all right, how can we better utilize this team and do more and adjust? And I'm looking forward to hearing from Lindsay because, yeah. you know, it, I have it to admit, we're really good at this. Yeah. You're yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, it does take, you know, um, effort and determination over the long term to establish different partnerships. And if I were to go back in time and, or perhaps the next time, yeah. you know, yeah. it would be something I'd be really focused on. So yeah. All I right, tell, I tell clients mind. real quick for you. Here's yeah. my ratio. I tell clients on an average over the course of a year, if you take the five days of the week, one day you should be on the road out meeting alumni. One day you should be out on campus meeting your partners and three days you should be in the office running the operation. So it should be 20% of your effort over the course of a year. I know I didn't do that early on. It sounds like you didn't either. So let's hear it, Lindsay. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> could have done better with that. All right, let's welcome to the show, Lindsay Prum. Hey, Lindsay, how's it going? Hi, it's going great. How are you both? Doing great. We're doing great. You, you sound good. We're glad to have you. Lindsay is the Assistant Vice President for Alumni and Community Relations at the University of Northern Colorado. Beautiful backdrop you have for your work <laughs> there at the university. Uh, and that's a real, that's time. right out her window. That's not a virtual background. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Although we do have a great program where we take our students up into the mountains, outdoor pursuits. And it's the time of year that the colors are starting to change in the mountains of Colorado. And it just felt like the perfect background for today's yeah, conversation. Good. Great to see you. Thanks for being on. Good choice. Yeah. Well, uh, Lindsay, to follow up on my question, my question to Chris, I know you've been really working on strengthening campus partnerships. It's what we decided we were going to focus today's show on. Can you talk just a little bit about your work, you know, forging relationships, particularly with uh, team members across advancement? Sure. And I love that Chris mentioned he worked in athletics because I think of advancement as a team sport holistically. Um, that's how I coach our new team members who are new to advancement to think about it. Um, but what's fundamental is understanding what game we're playing. If I say we're playing football and half our folks think American football and the other half are thinking soccer, we're <laughs> never going to win. <laughs> um, and if we are all trying to play the same position or we're not working from the same playbook, we're not going to score. So I think, you know, kind of leveraging that athletics analogy, I think that is so important to how we build relationships and partnerships in the work that we do. And when we can understand the gameplay that we're um, and the game plan that we're working from, we can accomplish some pretty amazing things. And that's why I love talking about partnerships and integrated advancement. Um, and I am so delighted to have amazing partners at UNC's advancement services team, um, without whom there is no way that I could do the work that I do. Um, and I'd love to give a little bit of an anecdote. When I started um, about nine years ago, I went to our, our data team um, to help me pull out a mailing list for honored alumni ceremony. And I asked for a segmented list um, targeting alumni of different identities based on who was being honored. 
And our data team was like, no one from alumni has ever asked us to do that. Like, that's like asking annual giving segmentations. And I said, well, but we have the data, right? They're like, yeah, but nobody's ever asked for that from your area. I said, well, let's give it a try. Let's go for it. Um, And for them to be approached and asked to contribute to work outside of something that they hadn't done before and valued for their expertise, I think laid the groundwork for some really amazing partnerships that have grown and developed even as the staff have changed. And um, over the past few years, um, the Advancement Services team and I have been working on mapping and tracking our alumni data, our alumni career data, um, in support of prospect management, career pipelines, marketing, recruitment, career readiness. And just recently, about a month ago, we launched the public access to our data visualization of alumni careers. So a completely interactive Power BI tool that anyone in the public, as well as campus partners, can access um, to understand alumni career pathways. And it's dynamically linked to our alumni donor database. And there is no way that we could have done that if we didn't have a strong partnership and appreciation and a shared game plan for what we were doing and, and how. Yeah. Yeah. That's fan- fantastic. And I think more and more the relationship between the engagement team, advancement services, as we're thinking about the tracking of activity, the idea of journey mapping, the idea of engagement scores, right? It really is incumbent on alumni leaders to forge uh, relationships with that part of the advancement shop. Lindsay, what about partnerships across campus? You know, I'm sure you think about those often. You alluded to athletics kind of in the lead into your first response. How have you prioritized those relationships and why? Because, you know, in reality, I feel like every unit on campus should have their own alumni engagement strategy. And it's just a question of how do you prioritize time and energy? Yeah. Well, everything is an opportunity cost um, when we boil it down. And I love my university. It's my undergraduate alma mater. I will bend over backwards if I can. But at the end of the day, my responsibility is to advance the institution in um, the most strategic way. And so I do have to prioritize how we spend our time, our partnerships. Chris, I loved how you talked about the, you know, spending time across the five days of the work week. And I look at um, what is it we're trying to accomplish through our strategic plan? What are the division um, operational goals? And where are those partnerships um, most critical? And it doesn't mean that I don't care or respond to other needs from across campus, but enrollment and student support is our primary focus at the University of Northern Colorado. Our strategic plan outlines students first, and that is a mantra that goes into every decision that we make. How is it supporting and advancing our students and their educational access and equity? And so I will prioritize working with our academic deans. I prioritize working with major gifts because of the um, initiatives to um, increase scholarship support. Um, certainly annual giving and advancement services because the data underpins all of that. Um, and, and I really try to help provide coverage um, by also doing a more of a tiered system. So I personally spend my time on the most important um, partnerships. And then I try to do some self-help um, and infrastructure to allow other areas to help themselves within the same ecosystem so that it doesn't feel like they're floating off by themselves. Um, because we can't do everything, but we can help people accomplish their goals if they understand how they fit into that bigger system. It's kind of a tangential answer. You know, who are the groups that, that you work with that you prioritize that was in your sure. Um, career 
foremost. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, admissions, um, but I've started to transition some of that work onto um, one of my colleagues on the alumni team. Um, and I know my academic partners may not appreciate hearing this, um, but athletics and the College of Business are the two um, priority areas because of um, the development portfolios that align with those different constituencies. Um, it's important that I provide support and pipeline development work where we have um, really strong opportunities for major gift development um, and leadership, volunteer leadership development. And those are two areas where we Right. We really need my time spent. It doesn't mean other areas are not important, um, but I'll plug in other team members to support other parts of campus and use my time um, when we're really developing the high level relationships that are going to lead toward whether it's principal gifts, major gifts, um, major employer partnerships and strategic relationships. Yeah, it's one of the one of the many balancing acts because you wear many hats. But in this particular hat under campus partnerships, the School of Business Dean loves the time he gets she gets with you. Right. But mm -hmm. the other colleges, deans, the deans are from the other colleges or schools are going, well, how about us? And that's another, you got to make sure you balance it. It's hard to do that. I know it is. But you it know, it is hard. <laughs> but your justification is dead on. I mean, from a strategic standpoint, you do it because that's where we have the most potential to gain from those relationships. And that makes yeah. absolute sense. So, so in this context, let's talk about goal sharing. Have you seen these partnerships established and deepen and be successful because you've had a shared goal? I mean, shared goals are what can drive success ultimately. Have you had those in place? Absolutely. Um, and of course, universities will often create shared goals through the strategic planning process. But one of the things that I'm most proud of at UNC is the strategic planning process actually codified the existing partnership and shared goals of alumni relations and the career center. Right. So Fantastic. we've been working together very closely for the past decade. Um, as I mentioned, that's my top partnership and the work that we've done um, is so instrumental into the success of our students that it was intentionally put into the strategic plan, not because it's something new, but because we want to lift up what's already working and working well. And right. I'm so proud of that. Yeah, that's great. Fantastic. One of the things that I think that's interesting is that the Career Center office has really great partnerships often with individual faculty members, right? Mm -hmm. Individual faculty members who prioritize career-based narratives uh, in their classroom, right? Or as mm -hmm. part of their assignments. And oftentimes want to have the alumni network as part of their, uh, that, you know, component, that narrative and talk about the importance of it. And so... You know, getting into the classroom, getting the importance of the alumni network in front of students often relies on working with the career center to work with those faculty members who often prioritize uh, the alumni network as important, uh, which I think is an interesting dynamic at a lot of campuses. But uh, I'm sure you've run into that uh, with your work with the career center. Uh, things are often made tricky uh, by the fact that staff members come and go. Lindsay, as you know, that there mm -hmm. is a reasonably high turnover rate in our in our field. I think it's fair to say. And then making sure that new hires are able to pick up where those individuals left off, keep the collaborations going. What what have you learned about creating sort of transitions and plans to keep these relationships going as seamlessly as possible? I think about that a lot. <laughs> Actually, a lot, a lot in the last year in particular, because I've um, filled basically every team's position um, once over and just in the last year. 
um, with the exception of one person. And so understanding how to sustain collaboration and culture is huge and I think is an important part of any team leader, whether you're a new team leader or a longstanding team member and not taking that effort for granted. And to me, it begins in the search process. When I have an open position, I'm thinking about the search committee composition and interview schedule based on what partnerships and individuals is this position going to work closely with. I went buy-in of those campus, those existing employees into the person that I ultimately hire. But I also want any candidate who's experienced in the interview process with our team to understand from the very beginning that my expectation is this is a team sport. We work together, we collaborate, and you're going to experience that from the very beginning of the search and recruitment process throughout how we plan our annual work. I've begun asking team members to also think about in their annual plans, um, succession and transition. If you're out on leave unexpectedly, if you end up getting a promotion, who's going to take over your work? How is does your work um, or a pause in your work impact the work of your colleagues? And start to map that out really intentionally, because I think that that shows respect and consideration for your colleagues and the the nature of collaboration. But I think it also gives us an opportunity to reflect on, am I doing the right things to build a collaborative culture? Am I doing the right things to help move things forward? Or am I only doing what's comfortable to me because it's convenient? Um, And I think that that thought exercise is incredibly important. That's why I spend so much time on it. I'm highly protective of the culture that we have built on our team um, and and the culture that starts with our vice president, Allie, who has been um, on our team since 2005 when she started as the associate director of alumni relations and has worked her way up. How long have you been in your role, Lindsay? Nine years. Nine. And and over your time there, have you found that your collaboration, like, like the search committee idea is a great starting point. That's such a great suggestion for the listeners. But are you finding it's being reciprocated? So when they have a vacancy, you're being asked to be on those committees? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm very grateful for that. It's a practice that we've instituted within our advancement division and our division has grown. Um, We were separately development alumni, um, relations division, and then a division of university relations, which was essentially marketing and communications. Mm -hmm. In 2019, we merged those divisions under um, advancement and started pulling together some of the same practices. Um, And then we also see that with our campus partners when the Career Center was hiring um, for their new director or their associate director. We've been involved in either the search committee or the interview process. Um, We're invited to meet with partners um, for academic leadership positions, um, for student services. I mean, pretty much every position, we've been given an opportunity to meet with candidates, and I'm very grateful for that. It's such an important thing. And if it becomes part of your expectation as a leader that bleeds into your team, it becomes part of that culture, it just sets it up. And then you throw in all the shared goals and everything. Mm -hmm. It's such a healthy way to approach it. I love your your tips you're giving here. Well done. Thank you. Lindsay, I wanted to ask you about community relations Mm -hmm. because your title is alumni and community relations. And we've been talking about, you know, advancement partnerships and and collaborations across campus. But you, in fact, are also thinking about the greater community where you are and live. Um, How are you thinking about that? And what are the sort of the important partnerships or collaborations that you that you've been thinking about as far as the community goes? I appreciate you asking, Ryan. I just mentioned that um, we merged university relations with development alumni relations. Part of that merger was moving the community relations function out of the marketing team and, and under my area. And Allie made that move intentionally because many of 
um, our alumni live and work in our surrounding community and in our region. And many of the organizations um, that we need to partner with, whether it's for enrollment partnerships, um, career partnerships, industry partnerships, civic um, advocacy are led by UNC alumni. Um, their workforce are made up of UNC alumni. And so if we want to really appreciate and honor those partnerships and relationships, we can't divorce the fact that they're comprised of UNC alumni. And so when we can coordinate that effort together and think holistically about that relationship, some pretty amazing things can happen. And so it was a natural move under me because of the nature of the constituency. That makes that makes sense, you know, and it probably depends on each university. You know, we've worked with a lot of partners, Chris, and and I can honestly say that I can't think of another one right now that where the alumni leader was also sort of the community relations leader. I'm sure there are others. I'm sure you've worked with those, but you know, what broadly speaking, what do you think about that work underneath the role of the alum, yeah. the chief engagement officer? I would love to get Lindsay's take on it. See, see if my answer. Is, is related to your own experience. But here's my take on it. I, I think it's a natural fit in that the skill sets that are needed for it are very similar, right? So that makes sense to me. Uh, I'll give you one example of who's leveraged this quite well, and he's amazing at it, is uh, formerly Matt Barwick at Seton Hall was the head of alumni and government relations. So he was doing the you know, federal and state lobbying at, at, oop, we got an echo, at Seton Hall and was doing well because he had that right skill set. He could ba- manage both. My worry, though, and I bet um, this is what I'm curious what Lindsay will say is, um, is, is, the, is the creep of that role. Can you really be an alumni leader and do what's required of an alumni engagement professional and still have that in your portfolio and do both well? <laughs> it's like a constant juggling act. Lindsay, what do you think? Lindsay, Lindsay are, are you, is part of your job suffering because of that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's always part of my job that's suffering. There's an offer, like I said, there's an opportunity cost to every decision yeah, that right, we make. Yep. And so I would say that I pride myself on making well-informed strategic decisions. I am a highly contextual thinker. And so I look at the the whole picture and all the pieces, and then I make a decision on how best to spend my time. If our community was not predominantly led by UNC alumni, I probably would not be as enthusiastic about having that portfolio of responsibility because it would take me away from developing the and sustaining the relationships with our alumni that I need to for the university. But because so many of our alumni are here in our local community, um, I'm. I would be ignoring them if right. I wasn't yeah. spending my time like with those community leaders. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very, yeah. it's very based on the environment. I've worked at two other universities um, prior to returning to UNC um, and neither of those would this be the right model. Yeah. I, I think it's institution type and the, you know, the demographic of the population, mm-hmm. but also I think it's the skill set of the person in your role. It takes, you know, there's a unicornish like skill set to do what you're doing. And um, so kudos to you. In fact, let me read. I, I got a text from one of our participants. Uh, I won't give out the name, but uh, the person said, my God, she is articulate, strategic and impressive was the feedback we got oh. on your on your part of the show here. So well done. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And she manages campus events, right? Right. All, <laughs> yes. I forgot about that. Little thing. Yeah. Yeah. Coach too. What else you got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have commencement in the president's events. So. 
I may that have pitched mean? Lindsay a few roles at other places along the way, but she loves her alma mater and, and seems really happy at uh, the uh, uh, listeners. I'm, I don't think you're likely to be able to steal Lindsay from the University <laughs> of Colorado, even though you may, may be looking for someone with her array of skill sets. Amazing. Amazing. Um, I, so, I Lindsay, do want to add one, one thing, one final yeah. thing about the, the, is it the right mix? I think the other thing that is helpful is, um, leading through influence. And I think an alumni relations leader ought to be able to do that if we're leading volunteers already. Um, I really want to build up the capacity of my colleagues, whether that's my colleagues on campus or my colleagues in the community. And when you can build the capacity of other people to work toward that shared goal, you actually can really leverage and scale what you're trying to accomplish. If I try to do every little thing myself, there's no way that I could do it all. But when I can build the capacity and lift lift up other people who have the opportunity and strengths to contribute towards something, and I can see the talent and strength that they have and build and develop that up, we can do amazing things together. And I think a good alumni leader should be able to do that and take that same skill that they do in volunteer development and apply it to the relationships that they have on campus and in the community. Yeah, you have so a political your, career ahead of you too. You're so yeah. astute in the way you, <laughs> you could do it. I mean, and, and and I know you what you say you mean. And one of your colleagues just came online and said, Lindsay's definitely a unicorn. We're luck so lucky to have her leadership. Leadership <laughs> is the word I was thinking that was you were answering that question. So thank good. you. Yeah, well, well done. So what what would you say is is your top priority for this year? You know, you've got a lot of partnerships in mind, a lot of initiatives in mind. What what partnership are you prioritizing the most in order to sort of move the whole operation forward? It's going to continue to be career. Yeah. It is something that touches everyone and not just the career center where I'm really excited is that our colleges um this is another way I can support the academic partners, um, even our athletic partners. And um, and you mentioned, Ryan, earlier that um, the Career Center will often have these great relationships with faculty and faculty who believe in incorporating career readiness into the curriculum. Absolutely. And, and I'm very grateful that my career colleagues have those relationships, but they can't do it alone. Um, and so they need me to support them and lift them up. And um, the deans are looking for that from the Career Center. The faculty are looking from that. Um, although we're a Division I athletic school, the majority of our student athletes do not go on to play professional sports. They go on to have meaningful careers using their UNC degree in education. And so when we can tie those things together around career outcomes and the outcomes of their education, we can do some pretty big things and pretty powerful things. And that's exciting. And that all started in the genesis of the relationship and partnership with the Career Center. That's awesome. And there's so much to do in that relationship, yep. right? From the alumni who are trying to recruit at the university to those alumni who are talent, uh, human resources professionals to uh, volunteers who want to help students to those young alumni uh, who need help, uh, you know, mm -hmm. and it, there's just so much opportunity to build out engagement strategies with career in mind. Uh, Lindsay, it was good and great to have you on the show. Our uh, live show has come quickly to a close. Uh, we'll move things over to the bonus segment. Uh, thanks to the, the team at Protopia for being our presenting sponsor. We really appreciate that. For those of you who have not had the chance to check out Protopia, definitely be sure to go to protopia.co forward slash alumnus and check it out because you everyone ought to know about it. 
Uh, Chris, before we depart, who is our next guest? Another uh, extremely thoughtful, kind, and articulate leader, uh, Mark Davis from UC Santa Cruz. So he has an alumni engagement background from Northern Arizona, Rice University, different roles for a while. Uh, and then he um, went to Carnegie Mellon as the number two to Scott Morey, who's going to be a guest of ours in the future as well as a campaign lead. And he took the VP role almost two years ago at UC Santa Cruz. And he is an amazing guy. Don't miss next two weeks from now, the next episode. So it's, it's, it's Mark is vice president university relations. Is that, is that right? Correct. But it's, it's, it's similar. It's an advancement shop with marketing community. It's the whole, yeah, it's a big, it's a big yeah. unit. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for those who've been listening live. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we're grateful for you listeners and we will head over to the podcast to do our bonus segment with Lindsay and um, we'll be back in two weeks with Mark Davis. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hey listeners, Chris and I were going to record an ad discussing all the great aspects of Protopia, of which there are many, but instead we thought it would be even better to hear from one of Protopia's current partners. Here's Sally Sistar, Executive Director of Alumni Engagement at Denison University, talking about her experience with the technology. If you like what you hear, be sure to go to protopia.co forward slash alumnus and check it out. You see Protopia fitting into your plans. You mentioned a few ways that I might imagine it fitting in, but what do you think? It's a tremendous fit. Listen, I cannot tell you how excited I was when I took this job to know that they already had Protopia, right? It's a very, very smart decision. Um, because one, it just, you know, it with the AI technology enabled, like it takes us out of the equation, right? It is really a great tool for alumni and students to ask those questions and be connected to, you know, the the top experts, right, or the top individuals to answer those questions for them. Um, what I've been really excited to hear about here at Denison is, you know, if that question goes to five alumni, well, all five of our graduates are answering. And then it gets into, you know, like, um, a train of communications between them and the individual asking the question. So it's really facilitating community for us in a way that we couldn't do that ourselves if we were at the helm of trying to, you know, facilitate someone's question going to those individuals, right? It's just, it's automatic and that's the beauty of it. Um, the other thing I would say to you is that it is also, it's bringing people into um, it's engaging alumni that may not have engaged with us in any other way, right? But they really are appreciative that, you know, they get an opportunity to, to help another alumni um, member or help a student. Um, so I just, I mean, I can't say enough great things about what a difference maker that has been for us on the engagement level. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Alumless. We are back with Lindsey Crum, Assistant Vice President for Alumni and Community Relations at the University of Northern Colorado. Grateful, Lindsey, for you joining us today. And we just had a great live show 
uh, and incredibly excited about uh, the engagement we had from our listeners during the show. But I thought it might be a good opportunity to sort of take just a little step back, a bird's eye view. And, and could you share more about the University of Northern Colorado, uh, what the school's like, what the, the town's like, and you know what um, folks give paint listeners a bit of a picture? Sure. Um, thanks for asking. So if you did watch the live show, you saw my virtual background of the mountains and the colorful leaves of Colorado. Um, University of Northern Colorado is located in Greeley, Colorado, which is in the High Plains part of the state, about an hour north of Denver. Um, we have a beautiful view of the mountains, but I'm not in the mountains. Um, our university is um, a regional public university. So most of our students come from Colorado or the surrounding Rocky Mountain region, although we do enroll students from out of state as well as internationally. I came to UNC from Hawaii um, on the Western Undergraduate Exchange Program, so we do have a, a strong tie into our Louis states as well. We're just um, under 9,000 students, most of whom are undergraduate students, and our academic portfolio, though we offer a comprehensive portfolio, our strengths are education, humanities, the arts, healthcare, and business, and we're originally founded as a teacher's college. Talk about your team for a little bit, too. With your scope of work, I'm assuming you have 118 people who work for you. Um, what's What does it look like? Sure. Um, so I'm um, in my role. Um, I am one of the, the four direct um, unit leads within advancement. Um, my unit is comprised of alumni relations or engagement programming, university events, and then community relations. I have two full-time alumni relations team members, two full-time university events team members, um, I'm responsible for and have the team member who does donor and alumni communications. Um, and then um, one of our two divisional assistants reports up to me who handles um, kind of the shared services, um, our advancement assistant. Like 10, 10 people for all that. It's in the, less than 10, I think. My math is right. Less than 10. I have yeah. six direct reports. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, yes, how I'm many alumni? What's the alumni population number again? 140,000. You need more staff. I would agree. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think that that's definitely true. But it just goes to show, you know, you have as many staff as as the university is is able to support at, at this particular moment in time, and and so you you work your best with um, the resources that you have to to move the program forward. Uh, Lindsay, you and I were, uh, or Chris, I, should, I was going to ask you this one. Lindsay and I were exchanging notes in preparation for the show, and she mentioned that her team has rolled out engagement portfolios. Uh, so I, I will ask Lindsay what this what this means in her terms. But what do you think about the idea of the engagement staff having portfolios? So, so um, there, I've seen two versions of this. I've seen versions mostly of no one has this at all. They just do their work. It's programmatically focused. But I've seen people build engagement portfolios where they're managing a portfolio of volunteer leaders or folks they want to engage who are, you know, um, maybe even, you know, the next category is is they actually manage a small portfolio of prospects and they're actually thinking about moving them towards solicitation. So they're actually the portfolio that they're assigned are people who we want to engage because there's capacity. So there's different ways to think about it. I love them all. Personally, I think it's fine for an alumni staff. Well, an established alumni program that's properly staffed for the alumni team. Once that person has been in a role enough and established in their role to have even a small portfolio where they're soliciting. Um, that takes a, a special situation to get to that point, but it's not hire somebody and give them a portfolio right away. They got to build the time and build the energy underneath and then manage a group that's more focused on the engagement side. So anyway, long, long winded, but 
I love the concept and I love Lindsay to have you share how you think about it there. What does your engagement portfolios look like? How are they built? Um, I'm going to give you a little story first. Right. When I interviewed for this role in the summer of 2014, I was asked by the team at the time, um, what was an idea that I'd want to bring to the team? And I said, I think we need engagement portfolios. They're like, what's that? <laughs> because for all of the team members, they were in their roles less than a year. And it was their first advancement role. They did not know about development portfolios, let alone engagement portfolios. And, and I had been thinking in my previous role that that was really part of the direction of where alumni engagement needed to go, was how do we think about um, prioritizing our time um, and resources on the relationships that we need to develop and not just having programming come one, come all. And so um, one of our team members, Chris Garcia, never let me forget that idea or that promise. And every year in our plannings, like, when are we going to do it? When are we going to do it? When are we going to do it? <laughs> and I said, Chris, I love your enthusiasm. I'm still enthusiastic about it, but there are some fundamental groundwork that we have to do before we can get there. Yep, we have to have the buy-in of our development team. We have to have the buy-in of our advancement services team. We have to be doing some baby steps. Um, the team had not been putting in any action notes at that point in time. Um, use of the database was very rudimentary at best. And so we started doing the work of contributing to quality data, prospect management, tracking our work, metrics that could lead to and justify why we should develop engagement portfolios and then the right composition of those portfolios. So we launched those portfolios last fiscal year, last spring, and we have three. Um, our assistant director, Teresa Castro, whose programming area is our alumni career programs, she carries a portfolio of recent undergraduate students. Our objectives with, objectives with her are to um, minimize the gap in communication from student to alum. Let's make sure that we are acquiring quality contact data and communication preferences, ensuring that they understand the access to support services to the Career Center and the alumni office to help them launch their careers and make sure that we're not trying to initiate an alumni relationship five years out. We how, initiate how the relationship. How big is that group that she manages? Um, I'm sorry, what? How big is the group in her portfolio? Um, it's about 1,300. Wow. Okay. Big group. All right. Keep going. Big, big group. So it's, you know, how we operationalize this portfolio matters. Um, the second portfolio is for my colleague, Chris, the one who'd been asking for <laughs> nine years. Um, and Chris's work um, touches in with our alumni in Northern Colorado um, because we have a lot of alumni who remain in Northern Colorado, business leaders, educators in our school district. What Chris's area is focused on is what we call the Bear Country Portfolio. So individuals who have already demonstrated a level of engagement as a volunteer or participant in some way and are geographically located in our home community, Love but it. who are not assigned to a fundraiser, either an annual right. giving portfolio or major gift. Um, how, how big is that? Job, um, it is about 500. Okay. Um, and then my portfolio is the volunteer leadership portfolio. Um, my portfolio is current and former alumni board members former trustees of the institution, and former foundation board members. So individuals who we have over the course of their life been developing and bu building into them um, capacity and a relationship with the institution. We knew that with all of our boards, we had a challenge of what happens when they complete their term, they kind of fall off a cliff. And unless they were a managed prospect, nothing was happening with that relationship. And all of the time and effort to build that relationship up went nowhere. 
So we dropped that with me. My portfolio is the only portfolio where there is a crossover to anyone who is actively assigned to a solicitor portfolio. Got it. And there's about 150 in that. In that one. And, and, and the other, especially 150, I get how you got to your number and how that arrived there. But 500, especially the 1300, how did you prioritize who was in those particular groups? <laughs> Yeah. Um, thank you, Case Metrics. Um, so <laughs> you're welcome. I had a part to this. <laughs> thank you. Um, so we started um looking at so the work of building the portfolios wasn't a turn a switch and all of a sudden you have them. We did really have to look at the data and what we were operationally trying to accomplish in both recent grad and the bear country areas and what would be what we wanted to experiment with was a manageable air quotes, manageable portfolio size. Um, and so with the bear country group, we looked at um, the geography and we looked at people who had an engagement metric of volunteer or experiential on their record in the last fiscal year, but were not currently in a donor portfolio. Right. And then we started to pair that down geographically to what we felt like would be a good place to start. And we also told um, Chris and Teresa um, that this would be an experimentation. And I wanted them to document what yeah. they were experiencing, the trends, the challenges, because what we finalize um, may not be what we started with. And we're going into our next campaign. And much like our previous campaign, there will be an engagement goal. And so we are using the portfolios to help us accomplish that engagement goal. And more importantly, build and cultivate a pipeline for the future campaign work. This is such, I'm going to tell every client about this and I'm going to tell them it was all my idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will give you full credit and send people your way to learn how to do it. But it's so smart. I mean, everything about it. I mean, I'm sure like for Chris's portfolio 500, there's probably, I'm going to take a wild guess, 50,000 people that fall in that geographic area. But, but you about 40,000. 40,000, right? So you take out mm -hmm. uh, 40,000 people, you take out the track prospects and people who aren't engaged at all and you find people that are showing some form of it get down to these 500 and said, make sure they stay engaged and they keep moving through this continuum. And where we can upgrade them. Right, exactly. We, right. we don't want people to stay static. We want the recent grads to upgrade. Yep. We want the bear country to upgrade. And just as we've started moving, so my my colleague in annual giving, um, Claire Buttry, she's advancement operations, which is advancement services in annual giving. We killed our phone-a-thon program and started doing annual giving portfolios for our student workers to help create a pipeline there. And the goal would be that we continually are handing up and handing off. And it also gives us an off-ramp. So our development team how they spend their time and prioritize on um, the donors in their portfolio, they should not be hanging on to people that are not major gift prospects. They need an off-ramp. They can off-ramp them into an engagement portfolio or an annual giving portfolio. Do you have an off-ramp out of yours? If someone's you know a dead weight in that 500 for Chris, for example, and they're not showing any response, we move them out and Put somebody in eventually, yeah. and and they'll still get they'll still get invitations to programs. Sure. They will still be right. invited to opportunities. But how we spend that personalized, focused relationship development time matters. Right, that, well, Ryan. I'm sorry, I hijacked this totally. Keep wrong. going, man. It's your <laughs> show. <laughs> um, if uh, so, Ryan's you're Ryan, but Chris is your staff member. Um. It, it, is Chris's performance measured on how well he did with those 500 for, as one of the things we're going to assess in his work? Um, not yet. We do track um, the work, um, but because we're not a full 12 months in, um, what we're doing is collecting data. 
And um, the portfolio itself was based on a collection and analysis of data. Now we're looking at what makes sense in terms of um, portfolio coverage and penetration and what makes sense for meaningful outreach. I mean, informally, I told him that your portfolio includes folks who have had one of these case metrics. I would like you to focus on a population within your portfolio. And what we chose to do was our alumni campus employees, because UNC employs a lot of our own alumni. Um, So we looked at in his portfolio who are also employed at the university and focus in on those people and let's use them as a test. And let's see if we can enhance the touch points and the engagement points and numbers of like the forms of metrics that they've touched over the next year. And let's evaluate that and see if that's something that we can then scale to other parts of your portfolio. If Chris listens to this, I'm going to tell him a goal. He's got to be at least 80% of that portfolio engaged in the way you just described. So tell him that's the goal from the outside. Okay, I will. He'll love it. Well, I was going to Chris ask is you very, about, very it sounds like he's driven. the kind of guy who would love that, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you about like goals around appointments and having those conversations. Do you all have, okay, you know, this week or every week, you're going to need to make some sort of contact, whether it's by Zoom or in person or you know, email, like, how do you sort of, uh, I know operationalize. you're sort of operationalize and, yeah. and, you know, I guess for next year, like uh, perhaps assigning quantifiable goals for the portfolio management. Um, it's a great question. And um, we, in this last year, um, through advancement operations, signed on with Gravity's Raise um, tool, which um, allows us to create a portfolio. And then um, it feeds us a prospect every single day in our inbox. And they're using their um, algorithm to determine who is the likely next prospect for us to reach out to. And so every day, there is a new member of your portfolio sitting in your inbox, waiting for you to send them an outreach message. Now you can skip that prospect if now's not the right time, or maybe you did um, offline already meet with them in a different way. And all of that work is tracked back as actions on the the constituent record. Um, And then, so we'll do some of that like email outreach um, or phone outreach, or in some cases where it makes sense, a meeting virtual or in person, um, but using the concepts and methodology of moves management that we've seen for years in um, major gift portfolio management, applying it to engagement portfolio management, because really the whole thing is one pipeline. These things are not separate. So we should be using the same methodology and concepts. We just scale differently and use resources differently. Yeah. If, awesome. if anybody from Gravity is listening to this um podcast uh let us know we'll talk about sponsorship and Lindsay, you'll get a cut <laughs> brent brent and the uh the team at gravity right that's an ever true isn't it i think gravity is actually a graduate product ever it true is it's graduate right oh, yeah. graduate yeah. not ever true mm-hmm. okay well max might not have like that the, and uh, he probably you know can't yeah. over on you can't trump on can't trump on, yeah, can't max, trump on, sure. on max with another yeah. platform provider but um that's okay it makes the moves management and the way in which the gravity provides that prospect to your inbox to make sure uh, okay, that, yeah. that activity mm-hmm. is is ongoing and routine because it's easy to fall out of routine right when it comes to oh, there's another it. Exactly. event and there's yeah. another thing and they're all more important than reaching that prospect and it's really about sort of leading even that, if you did one a day, it's a couple hundred a year from a work year. Right, exactly. It's brilliant. Yeah. I love it. 
Do you, Lindsay, do you think there's a, a type of institution that you know is the wrong fit for doing the portfolio model? Um, you know, you you mentioned that you had to make some steps to get there. What would yeah. you say to a university who's like thinking about it, but really needs to establish what in order to first be ready to do that? Um, well, regardless of whether you do a portfolio, engagement portfolio structure or not, the steps that it takes you to get there are steps I think every institution should take because they're solid operational decisions. And it's about understanding your responsibility to um, quality data, to tracking your work, to setting metrics for your work, because we are not and shouldn't be collecting salary and using resources of our institutions on personal whims and feelings. Hmm. Um, I, I have a fiduciary responsibility to the institution and the students that we're privileged to support to use the resources entrusted to me wisely. And putting strong operational practices in place that are rooted in data and tied back to institutional priorities ensures that I do that. If anybody asked how I spend the university's resources, budget or otherwise, I could justify that. I can justify why I do what I do, why I ask the team to do what they do and tie it back to a clear goal at the institution. So the practices that you put in place in the analysis and self-reflection you do as an organization, regardless of your size and complexity, I believe is important work. Now we did that with the goal to move us toward engagement portfolios but the work itself and the journey itself that you right. do is so smart and wise. Wow, hundred percent agree. Uh, and it's probably built such strength and respect relationships with those colleagues within advancement, mm-hmm. just by the simple fact that you took that journey, let alone started with the portfolio. Have you seen an increase or a benefit to your partnerships internally with, with this? Absolutely. Um, I am very grateful for the relationships that I have with my advancement colleagues, both individual team members as well as unit leaders. Um, I will very regularly have a development officer, a major gift officer, pop into my office to strategize about donors in their portfolio, just as often as I will have an alumni relations team member pop into my office, that they see and understand that my work is to help them be successful, that I have no issue or insecurity around the fact that I am a service unit in so many ways. And I'm happy to do that work. I'm happy to be a helper. Um, I know that my job is to help other people. Um, And so by showing them that I understand what they're trying to accomplish and the methodology that they use um, and aligning my work and the work that I leave behind that, it makes it easy for them to see how it's connected. It makes them easy to understand that I'm here to help them and that our alumni board is behind it, that our volunteers feel validated and seen by that, and that our campus partners, importantly, see a unified strategy and advancement. I don't know what your career aspirations are, Lindsay. I've just gotten to know you over the last hour, but you should at least be a a vice president for advancement, and you probably could run a university as a president somewhere with the way you think. I just love it. Thank you. It's, it's it's brilliant. I love the way you think about it and talk about it and uh, how clear it is in your mind and articulate it well. Let's go to your own portfolio, though. Your, your own yeah. individual experience with your, you said about 150 people yeah. in your group. What's been your learning curve like and what's been some of your, you know, any standout stories, good or bad? Um, a realization that what we heard anecdotally is so true. Um For the last several years, when I've um, cycled board members off of the alumni board and I've done exit conversations with them and I, you know, I see my past board members and I'm a past board member. Um, 
they're like, yeah, I just feel like I'm not as connected. I feel like I'm not as involved. I, I felt like I was an insider. Yes. Yeah. I feel yeah. lost. I was such an insider for, for the time that I was on the board. And I just, I just feel like I'm not as connected and that hurts to hear. And it's like, well, gosh, what are we going to do about that? And our current board will talk about that. Our board chair Q talks about that. And so the portfolio, once it was assigned to me and, and just for some other like software context, we're a Razor's Edge NXT user. Um, so I can go into my workplace and see all my all my yeah. things and actions and everything. Um, and and so I, I got my portfolio and I'm looking at all of these former board members who over generations since the Alumni Association was founded in 1965. Um, so some people have passed, but some are still you know, living alums, sometimes donors, not donors. And you see the complete drop off in their engagement once they leave their board service. And so having that front of mind every single day when I open my Outlook and when I log into NXT is a constant reminder that these are relationships that I need to keep developing. We put so much time and money and effort into cultivating volunteers and then we just drop them. Yeah. It, it's just not right. Yeah. It's not right for so many reasons. And so um, getting that portfolio was the the visualization and the affirmation of all the anecdotes that we saw and a reminder that my time um, needs to go toward those high level volunteers. And when I talked to our um, head of advancement operations about my portfolio um, and creating the dashboards for our performances, that'll be the next iteration of our work um, is how to keep my time protected. And so um, Recent grad, larger portfolio, bear country, a little bit smaller. And then mine is the smallest, much like you see with annual giving leadership and major gifts. Because um, we have to protect my time focusing on the highest level volunteer relationships at the university. Yeah. I, th- think about what you just said and everything you were talking about, 100% agree with, with an alumni board. But the same thing is true with our board of trustee members. Like and that's why they're in my portfolio now, too. I love that. I love, uh, we have a, I have a, Out of 200 clients, I can count on two hands how many have a version of what you just described. The vast majority don't even think about this and they fall into the ether, right? They, they, they fall off mm-hmm. the earth. Uh, Gettysburg so college is one that's recently built one for their board of trustees. They have a, in their campaign that they're launching now, there's a trustee phase right now. And they have built a strategy to engage all past trustees because they have fallen off the earth completely. It's so smart. And, and this is exactly why it came to me. Our chief of yeah. staff um, is like, I, I focused on the current trustees but I know we need to do something with the past trustees. Yep. And I'm like, yep. I will take them on. I will take them. That's great. I think it's great. Another group that, you know, belongs in a portfolio are the double degree graduates, right? Yes. Who are, you know, the most recent Very case, cool. you know, survey tells us there's so much more engagement potential from that group, but there's no strategy for them. And I don't know how you coordinate some sort of programmatic strategy for them. Uh, effectively, but I mean, they belong in a portfolio where you're maintaining uh, interaction with these folks, and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, we could we could probably carry on uh, another hour about. <laughs> yeah, I could talk stuff. about this forever. <laughs> I think our whole field is it really interested in this, and it's part of a more integrated advancement model, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, people are talking about how do we get more integrated, more integrated. Well, this is it, right? This is it gets down to the relationship development piece of it. We can talk about other aspects of it too, but fundamentally making time to out- conduct outreach, have interpersonal interactions with our key stakeholders like former trustees or board members and keeping them involved in the university, even if it's just through dialogue mm-hmm. is you know really at the core of our yeah. job. Mm-hmm. 
Um, well, let's Lindsay. Well, love it. Just well, so well done. Chris is a Chris is a fan. You got a job okay. offer. You got told you to be a, a vice a vice president. Oh, like, president. And he, and he was and he was initially like, "Ah, does Northern uh, Northern Colorado have any business for us?" Um, <laughs> I said to him, "Who is this person? Who is this?" Yeah. He said, "Trust me." I was He's like, "Trust really me. Good. Trust me." Yeah, you'll you'll appreciate it. And he uh, well, okay. So uh, before we uh, wrap up the bonus section, we have introduced a new final segment of the show, which is our Friday cheers section, where we sort of just introduce something that we're thinking about that we're talking about, whether it's personal, professional related, where we find some inspiration or just uh, find it interesting. And um, Lindsay, I thought I'd let you go first. You have a, a Friday cheers. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was kind of torn. I'm like, do I talk personal or do I talk professional? Um, you could go either but- way. We well, we had a little like opportunity that popped up this week that was like, well, this is perfect, actually. So the University of Northern Colorado is an emerging Hispanic serving institution. And my colleague who Chris that I talked about earlier, um, Chris has been the staff lead on the HSI initiative. And so he's helping to coordinate the administrative support for becoming an HSI, really leaning into the idea of serving. And how do we make sure that our alumni programs, our, um, our advancement operation is also prepared for the HSI designation, that it's not just a designation. It's also about thinking about our work and the population we're privileged to serve. Um, and so just on the 26th, there was a webinar redefining philanthropy through the Latinx generosity trends. Um, and it was through um, the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy um, and, um, Hispanics in philanthropy. And, um, it's a great webinar. Several of us in the office have already watched it either live or in recording and thinking about becoming an HSI and the, the trends and the data and the populations that we serve and what are the giving behaviors and what are the cultural context and, um, the, the different factors and considerations that can help us inform the work that we do in honoring this donor population, because it's not a new donor population. It's just not one that's been researched in the same way. And so um, I'm really excited by that. The the team as a whole has been um, having this long email thread all week about, well, here's what I got and here's what I saw or here's what I heard. And I think that that conversation, as well as with our VP of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion, who also watched the webinar, I think is going to keep that conversation moving forward. And that's exciting to me because that is the population that we're privileged to serve. And so thinking about how we organize alumni engagement and philanthropy efforts behind that, to me, is exciting. Love it. We work with uh, UTEP, one of the leading HSIs, and I spent some time, so did Ryan, with uh, UC. In fact, our guest two weeks from now is Mark Davis at UC Santa Cruz, another leading HSI. So love what you're doing there. And uh, send us the link to that webinar. I will. We, I will. Include it in the, yeah, we can share it on the C, from the CMAC page. Chris, you're up next. Yeah, so I'll share one. Um, we had a little bit of a hiatus from the live shows, so it's been a little bit of a while. But I was I spent a few weeks ago, I spent some time with the United States Olympic Paralympic Committee at their assembly out in Los Angeles. So this is our, these are all Olympians, Paralympians, and there are 6,000 of them who had that experience who are now alumni of the Olympic Paralympic experience. And it's an amazing group, for one. Uh, it's just been a privilege to serve. I mean, think about, you know, the people we're talking about here. We watch them on television every four years as these amazing elite athletes. But what I, what I, what I, what dawned on me, I mean, I could tell you another hour long story about all the different things that we went through, but the takeaway for me 
came back to the work we do in alumni engagement is this, is that they all have had, like, like in, in higher ed, we have people who have a shared experience for four years or two, whatever it is, in a cohort for an MBA, whatever it might be, but you've had a shared, for them, their shared experience is often an individual journey on their own of training and preparation. Then they make a team, you're on that team for several months training together, and then you have that experience, and then it's over. And But, but the thing is, they have a um, community based on that shared experience that is real and deep. And all the engagement principles that we talk about are exactly the same for that particular community as it is for someone who had a four-year undergraduate liberal arts experience, for example. The difference being is that these are elite, very special athletes who have done amazing things, but they share that common bond. And this was kind of a, a, a punctuation, exclamation point, if you will, on the work we do in this space, that this is an important uh you know, uh, way to think about how this community can stay together, stay connected and support, you know, provide, you know, inspiration for the next generation, you know, all kinds of things you can do with that community together. So it was just a fun reminder for me at a very elite level and I wanted to share it. A really cool project that you've had the chance to work with. It's It's been fun to watch you because you've been so excited about, um, you know, those interactions with those Olympians, including some of your uh, heroes, uh, the swimmers, right? From Yeah, I get to meet a lot of them. <laughs> back in the day. Yep. Um, I, I have to credit Chris with my Friday cheers because a few weeks back we were talking about our favorite books and <laughs> Chris recommended a book called All the Light We Cannot See, right? Uh, and it's a book by Anthony Dewar that won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 2014, I believe it was. It's actually yeah, been around for a little while, but I bring it back up because they're actually making a miniseries on Netflix that's coming out in November, and I think the book is going to be really popular again. But man, what an incredibly beautifully written novel that tracks a young blind girl uh, from Paris and her father and her family and a, a boy, a German a boy who becomes a, a soldier in the, in the Reich and how their paths intertwine this, in this really interesting way uh, in World War II occupied France. And the, the writing is these short chapters that are just, you know, all of them are just three or four pages, maybe maybe even a half of a page. And you're moving through this book in a way that you you don't move through books, you know, often. Uh, and it's, it's just this really powerful read that um, if you have not read All the Light We Cannot See by uh, Anthony Dewar, I highly recommend it. Chris recommended it to me. I'm recommending it to you, uh, to all of our listeners, and you should definitely pick it up. In the Netflix series, you sent me that link. It's going to be so cool that they're making a historical fiction book. I mean, there's a lot of truth to what's happening. It's a fictional story that weaves through yeah. it, but I love how you described it. Well done. And I love the historical fiction genre. It's probably my favorite you know, genre. I, I have a hard time reading like a nonfiction at night or just for pleasure. And so I've actually, my, my, my goal is to read all the Pulitzer Prize winning fiction books. I feel like it's a good goal for that. That's a good goal. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm more on the nonfiction side. So I, that's where right. I was like, do I do a personal thing or a work thing? Because yeah, nonfiction, I'm like, thing. we have time. Give, yeah. I, so I, I actually love World War II history. <laughs> so I, I read random books on history just on my Kindle. Um, I also love to travel. And so wherever I'm traveling, I read books on that place. And I told Ryan earlier, I'm heading to London on Monday to take my mom for her first visit. But then oh, at the end yeah. of October, I'm going to Dubai for the first time. So I'm looking for a book on 
the um, history of the Emirates and thinking like, okay, that's going to be my nice 15 hour read <laughs> on that flight. We should introduce Lindsay to John, John Pine at UC Santa Cruz, who spent five years in Dubai as their, um, as NYU's alumni leader. So awesome. Yeah. yeah NYU. And actually Dubai, visiting a right? colleague who works at a university in Abu Dhabi as part of the visit. That's where he was. So, for, yeah. Uh, let me know offline. I'll, I'll connect you with John. Thank He'd you. Be, great tips. Thank you. All right. Well, that wraps us up for this week. What a great show we had with Lindsay Crumb from University of Northern Colorado. Uh, great to have you, Lindsay. Chris, pleasure as always, sir. Thank you Big so show, much. Ryan. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh, Mark Davis from the University of California, Santa Cruz. Have a good two weeks, not one week, but two. Bye, everybody. See ya. <laughs>